Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We are so happy to be in this beautiful summer day. We don't know where you are, but we're glad you're with us. We are still at Bear Lake, just wrapping up. This is actually the last day of our family reunion. We're saying goodbye to people. They're heading back to the far corners of the earth. We had one family here that came from Bangkok and one that came from Switzerland and one that came from their home on Maui. We are spread out all over the world, but before we get to talking about family reunions, which has to be the subject for today, because we've thought of nothing else for the entire <laughs> past week, before we get to that, we're sorry we didn't broadcast last week. We we had some issues. We were here. We were getting ready for this, so we did a rerun, but the week before last, you loyal listeners will recall we were talking about England and we were there for Wimbledon and we didn't quite finish, Linda. I don't think, I didn't feel like we totally conveyed <laughs> the fullness, the completeness, the awesomeness of our love for England. Oh my gosh. And especially Wimbledon. We uh, absolutely adore uh, that place. It's different than any other place on earth, any other Grand Slam place or any other place. I mean, you go in and everything is just covered with ivy everywhere. Gorgeous English gardens and flowers. And oh, my gosh, it's just fantastic. Well, I think it's something to do with our love for tradition. And there's no place quite as filled with tradition as the Wimbledon. They, they don't even call it. The, the British don't call it Wimbledon. They just call it the championships. Yeah, because they do. They to do. them, it is the premier. And Maybe. I think most of the world would agree, the premier tennis tournament, maybe the premier sporting event in the world. But over 100 years, every year on the grass, it is just filled with <laughs> tradition. Spectacular. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I can never go. I could never get in. I could never afford it. Look, this is all you have to do. <laughs> you, we had a, a granddaughter who was studying abroad uh, in, with in BYU London. in London. and We so couldn't get a ticket for her. She decided that she was going to get there no matter what. So she and her roommate got up at 1.30 a.m. They got a train and they went to the grounds and they let them in and they were in this Huge well, park next massive to the park, massive park with lots of people there. And they had their little umbrella and their little backpacks. And it was <laughs> and it raining. Rained, and they it was raining. To sleep and, but alone. then they got there and realized that everybody had tents. There were hundreds the of tents. tents where they'd been sleeping there overnight. Thousands of people and camping people. overnight, waiting. So to get they tickets. kind of laid down in the mud because it had been raining and everybody had tromped the grass down. And laid on their backpacks for a couple hours. And then at 5.30 a.m., they came and woke everybody up and said, it's time to get in line. Now you can move into the real queue. Now you can get into the queue. And so they got into the queue. But they had the best time. Oh, and then they said, here's your number. And her number was 
1,000. Out, out of maybe 20,000. Exactly. So they exactly. were, they knew they were going to get in. At that so point. they knew they were going to get in. So they, but they said they had the best time talking to people, getting to know people in the line. They actually said that being in the queue for that long was kind of more fun than, than Wimbledon, or at least <laughs> in a different way. In their but own they way. They said everyone was so proper and nice and hospitable and comfortable. They got new conversational. friends. Yeah. <laughs> They're from all over the world. Anyway, then they at the 10.15, they were on the grounds. And it doesn't even start play until 11. So um, it was pretty fun. I mean, it really was a great but experience. But I, I just don't, we didn't convey everything about, we, we were only there for six days. And, and we were at Wimbledon for three of those days. So. Oh, and we, we do have to say that we did not spend a fortune getting in either. Because we won tickets on the lottery every year we <laughs> We send in a request, can we give the tickets? And then even when you get them, you have to pay for them. But we want you to know we were not on the front row. We were the eighth row from the back in center court for the quarterfinals. But it was really, really fun. And we had grounds passes the other days. But what what we wanted to say is we didn't, uh, you know, many of you know we lived in England for nearly five years. And we just love London. And so... Even though our time was limited, this visit and mainly uh, dedicated to Wimbledon, we did have a marvelous, marvelous day out in the country, just driving around our beloved Surrey, seeing towns like Ripley and Guilford and Appinger Hammer and just enjoying that green and pleasant land, the countryside and 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 if you those of you who travel to England, please don't spend all your time in London. Marvelous as it is, get out into the the countryside, which is incredible. And the people are different in every region of England, and the accents are different. We could go on and on, but but go to the while you're in London, go to the theater. <clears throat> as much as as much as we love Broadway, the theater in London's actually better. And. I wouldn't say that. It's you just better a tell different. about the show that, that just caught us off guard. We had no idea that it would be as good as it was. We uh, we had a son who had gone there the last time he went, and he loved it. And it was, you'll never believe, back to the future. So the way they did it was really, really incredible. It was a musical. For those of you who are Back to the Future fans, I don't know how many of you were, but um, it really was quite remarkable because they had put music to it. Um, they have amazing mechanics and Doc is knock dead fabulous. So if you get a chance, try that. But it, you don't feel like you're in England though in that theater because there's no British accents. It's all American, but they do a great job. With it. And if you have time, spend a whole day at the National Portrait Gallery. Now, most a lot of people know about the Tate and the Tate Modern and the National Gallery. The art, the art in in London is incredible, but the National Portrait Gallery, Linda, finding people from history and seeing them portrayed by portrait artists better than any photograph because they they capture things about a person in a good portrait painting that's amazing and. You can find so many people you know from history or you've read about, and you can look into their eyes on these portraits and see things you've never seen before. Oh, my favorite room is a room about 
William Wilberforce, who was the one who was the force behind stopping slavery in England. I had read a book called Amazing Grace all about him. And so I was in my glory there. I had seen it before, but they did such a beautiful job of updating it and all the people that were involved. It's actually an unfinished painting, but luckily the artist finished Wilberforce's face. Yeah. And then hadn't just finished the background. Back. But it's all the conventions that happened. And when they actually decided this is not right, we are going to abolish slavery. It is a fascinating story. But every face, every face in this big assembly, you could see. I mean, it was just the painting was so big. It was amazing. So having given, uh, having vented a little more of our love for England, let us turn now to where we are and to what we want to talk about today, which is family reunions. And what we want to get at, this is our 40th family reunion here at Bear Lake. That seems incredible to us. We can't imagine we're even that old, but the question is, what have we learned after 40 years of family reunions? And I, I want to start out, Linda, by saying maybe the biggest thing we've learned is that family reunions are a mixed bag. There is chaos. There is confusion. There are disagreements that surface. There are different perspectives that we discover that we have to iron out. There are logistical problems Unbelievable proportions. Fifty six. <laughs> trying to get people year, here. Trying to get people here and back. Trying to, you know, but but maybe one of the biggest things we've learned is that I, I I'm just going to say it's delegation. It's backing off. It's it's not it's not thinking you have to do everything. If you're the grandpa and the grandma, or if you're the parents who are putting this on. Don't try to do it all yourself. Oh, yeah, we decided that a long time ago. So the actual execution of the reunion, is we don't even think about it. We have one family assigned to do it every year. And this year, that family was so smart because they just have a whole pack of little kids, four kids under six, under seven. And um, it really is amazing that they they called each family and would, could you can do conduct a game on this day? Can you conduct this meeting? Can you do this? And it was worked out beautifully. And each meal is assigned to one family, and they they have to do they everything. Bring their own bring food. Their own and food. I used to do all the shopping. Do the cleaning. Bring up. it all in. One time I went to Costco and I had this huge one of those trailer things, you know, <laughs> full of food, and it wasn't enough. And so I left it there and I went back to get another thing when I buzzed. Oh, you mean the back. trailer wasn't big enough? No, it wasn't big enough. So I got another one and I went back to get more. And when it, by the time I got back to the other one, they'd put it all away. They oh, thought that no. I just deserted it. Oh, you hadn't bought it yet. No, I hadn't oh. bought it yet. I just had it waiting. Like <laughs> I thought it. someone stole all the food. I thought I was going <laughs> to die. Oh, my gosh. And I couldn't even remember what was on there by then. Anyway, so there's always some crazy stuff that we learned then. We're going to delegate this. and But it just depends on how old your kids and how many grandkids you have. There's so many different moving parts in a reunion. But we hope that you're thinking about doing it, even if you haven't in the past or that you continue to do it and send in our ideas, send in your ideas. And we've had a lot of experience talking to various parents and grandparents about their their reunion experiences, and always it's a mixed bag. Always there are some moments during the reunion when you say, oh my gosh, why did we even do this? It's just so complicated. And 
and there are people in the family that don't get along with each other as well as they should. And maybe we'll open old wounds and things we've swept under the carpet will come back out in some way. But by and large, you know, life is real. Life is earnest. And the grave is not the goal. <laughs> you just you just got to jump in and take the risk. And, and I think that what we want to say about reunions is that uh, they... The purpose of them is bonding, and it's particularly bonding cousins, getting cousins together who might not see each other. We, you know, we're doing this course on grandparenting, and we did a survey, and over 68% of the people in the course had at least one family, one grandchild, one, one of their children, living more than 500 miles away. And, and in our case, with majority, someone coming from yeah. Bangkok and something, someone coming from uh, Switzerland and a family coming from Maui, it's, it's you know, if, if, all your, if all your family lives in the same town, you may not need a reunion. But even then, I mean, I think getting away, maybe the, if you all live close together, the purpose of a reunion is to break it up and go somewhere new where new things can happen. But those kind of families are, are the minority. Most families, they're coming from different places. And some of these cousins won't see each other for most for the rest of the year. And so trying to design everything around interaction uh, is just really the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do want to <clears throat> tell you a little bit more about what we've done, but I think we need to take a break right now. And the second half, we're really going to do just delve into what happened at our reunion this year and, and just, mechanics just that to might keep, help you, you know, don't go away because the family that did it this year, the dad in the family, our son-in-law is the head of the finance department at BYU. And so the, the theme of the reunion was invest. And we're going to tell you what that means and what it led to, because it was an intriguing thing. Really interesting. So hang on, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about reunions. We um, did have a really fun reunion. We asked the kids who are in charge. We just, once every nine years, they have to do it, which is not too overwhelming. <laughs> if you have three kids, they'd have to do it every three years. Yeah, but this group did it. I mean, this family had such young kids that it was great that they, they, they parsed it out. And yeah. will you take some games on the lawn? Will you do a session on this? Will you do this? And it really was helpful so that they but it's still a big job bless their hearts so let's each just tell about something we remember and go back and forth they did one game it was just an interaction game where people lined up across the table from each other and every two minutes one side would move one so you're now with a different person a different person and little kids who couldn't read had to have a partner and there and on the table in front of them were cups with questions in them one, uh, two cups in for each pair of people, one a kid's cup of questions and one an adult's cup. And you just draw one out and you'd ask it to the person across the table. And it was things like, uh, if you had to have bananas for your toes or for your fingers, which one would you choose? I mean, silly stuff like that. But then there were, there were things like, if you could visit anywhere in the world, where would it be? And 
just so many probing questions, quick answers, quick yeah. answers. It was like speed dating, only it's getting to know your all the adults, getting to know the kids, the kids, the adults. How will you answer these questions? And it was really exciting. Yeah, like what are you looking forward to in the future? And I think we really learned a lot about each other while we we're doing that. And it's, it's called speed friendship. Speed friendship. <laughs> Um, what, so, what else? What, what do you think of first when you think of all? And this is in just a few days. There were a lots of things to choose from. Well, let's go to that finance meeting, which was hilarious. <laughs> As we said just before the break, the the T-shirt said the theme, which was invest. And it isn't. We didn't just talk about money. You no, know, it was in, invest. It was invest in your invest spiritual. Self, invest spiritual. in your spiritual self. In your emotional self. And it was so fascinating how they did it. But we did have uh, the son-in-law in charge who was the in charge of the finance department at the business school at BYU. And he gave an amazing <laughs> talk, uh, 100 he, miles an hour. He had eight year olds and 10 years old interested in compound interest and uh, <laughs> present value of money and concepts that I would have never tried teaching to another adult. And he had he had the kids going he on. He had them going on it. It was really quite amazing. What is the definition of investment? You have to take risk, but you have to also be prudent and you have to know your facts. Well, and the audiences were so different because we had... We had a little, our little poem who had an egg business when she was nine years old in Hawaii and Maui. And uh, she made $900 and she put it in the bank. And then she told how she invested, you know, different things. And I mean, we were just blown away. And then other kids were like, well, you know, if I make 87 cents, then, you know, and the little, little kids who are working at it. But then we had young, we had teenagers who were thinking about college and thinking about how they're going to need some money. And then we had young adults and we had married kids who loved what they were learning. Yeah. And they were all, yeah. I was amazed at how sexy they were because they had been working on it. Their parents have been really smart. Anyway, it was fantastic. But then we also had, you know, invest in our property. We had a whole, we had a whole hour when all 50 people were out working on this property where things to do, getting the weeds out, pulling things in, a work painting, project, yeah. doing things that needed to be done. And sweat equity, sweat equity. <laughs> exactly. And they just decided that, I mean, the, the organizers said, you know, we use this place. We need to take care of it. We all need to be invested in taking care of it. And so it was fabulous. You cannot believe what 55 people can do in an hour. <laughs> the the opening ceremony each year at our reunion is really something because it's when the family that's in charge presents the theme of the reunion, sort of the unveiling. And this time they had bubble machines and they had fireworks and everything. And here came this word invest and they explained that it wasn't just a financial word. It's investing in your future, investing in your body, investing in your mind, investing in your emotions. And you may say, wow, that sounds a little heavy for a lot of these little kids, but it was all tailored to sort of penetrate and give everyone this feeling. And it was really a pretty powerful experience. And I want to get back to the, the cousin bonding um, we have our grandkids divided up into groups according to age. So they're they're all in groups with kids within two or three years of their age. And there's certain traditions of things they can do each year. And one of the things is that when they turn 12, we take them on 
what we initially called a motorhome trip. And uh, but it's now evolved to where sometimes it's a it's a houseboat or sometimes it's just a visit to Las Vegas to go to a show that's there that's good for kids or whatever. But they're all planning. And what what are we going to do when it's our turn for the motorhome trip? And uh, what they like to do is go out on a boat where they're private out in the middle of the lake with us and think about how they're going to plan what their motorhome trip will be. And this, this bonding of cousins, and we just keep trying to teach them the, the, the actual truth that cousins are not just friends. They will be your cousins forever. And they are almost like your siblings. And wow, we've got some great relationships forming. Also some rivalries. Yeah. There's always a mixed bag. One troublemaker too, then, you know, and they just, that's okay because they learn to deal with each other and they're all going through stages. You know, they going through stages and, and they, you know, next year that could be entirely different, but it's a good learning experience for kids too, to say, to realize they're learning, they're, they're changing their, you know, they are at an awkward age or not or whatever. And it really is a good experience, I think, for everybody. But if you were to ask any of our grandkids what their favorite part of the reunion is, I'm pretty sure, Linda, they would say, Grammy camps. Oh, man, <laughs> I had so much fun with Grammy camps this year. Now, when we're doing this, I'm telling you, Richard just said we started 40 years ago. We've been working on this for 40 years, and the kids have gotten older, and we've learned as we've gone. But I have uh, these little groups from three to five usually in the group and we have so much fun. I send them. I, my loves are music and well, art. Wait, let me, let me okay, tell that right. part in an interesting way. I was in the other room listening as Linda opened one of these Grammy camps. And I think this was with like the eight, eight and nine, roughly that, that age. And I heard Linda just, I overheard and Linda just said, okay, kids, what's the purpose of Grammy camps? And those kids all were raising their hands. And one says, because you want us to know about our ancestors. And you tell us these great stories about who they were. And that helps us to know them. And another another kid said, and you love music, especially classical music. And you teach us about music. And a third one said, and you love art. And you always make us learn how to recognize certain paintings and certain artists and so on and then the last one that i heard said and you love the scriptures grammy and we've got the ones memorized that we're supposed to have for now so i just i was just sitting in the other room quietly thinking these kids 50 years from now when we're dead and gone they're going to be thinking my grammy loved ancestors she loved music she loved art she loved the scriptures and she taught us all her favorites. And I, I mean, the legacy of that almost makes me cry. You know, it was really fun. And then they pass on after, you know, when they're teenagers, they don't do Grammy camp anymore, but we still get together. We got together for one hour with the teenagers and the young adults who'd gone through all this. And it was just such a thrill to see them all repeating my favorite scripture together. Word perfect. And then, um, uh, 
having such a good time bonding together because they had this thing that they'd always done. And then we actually went through the old art and music to see how many they, how many they remembered from other from previous years. It was such a delight to see that happen. It was really great. And then, of course, we always do Ancestor stuff too, which is awesome. Well, you do amazing with those Grammy camps. We we take the ones that are in high school, we take them to a little restaurant across the lake, and it's kind of become our tradition. We get two round tables, and um, I get one group that, like, I got the college group, and Linda got the high school group, and we spent about the first 45 minutes or so with those groups, and then about the time the entree came, we switched tables, Linda and I. So now I had the high school kids and she had the college kids. And it's called the question interchange. I ask them a question or Linda asks them a question and they get a chance to ask us a question. And they ask some pretty, we, we, there's no holes barred. There's nothing off the table. They can ask us anything and we, we'll, we'll answer it. So far, they've never asked us one that we said, oh, sorry, can't answer that. So that's kind of fun. But I wanted to say that my mine this year was really interesting because I asked them, I mean, picture a high school group of kids, some of them as young as 14 or so, and as old as 18, and then another group where they're they're all in college. And my first question was, what do you love most about the earth? And boy, I got some great answers. I mean, there's some really beautiful, poetic kids that had some good answers. And then the second question was, how could you love the earth more? How could you love it more? And I mean, some of them went the ecology route. We could recycle. We could do this. We could do that. And others were like, well, we could just notice things more and appreciate small things more. And on and on. It was a great discussion. And then the second question was, what do you love most about the church? Wow, I learned a lot. Some great interest. And then the second follow-up, how can you love the church more? And getting them thinking, getting them talking, and letting them hear their other cousins express their view. It was, I wish I had a recording of the whole thing. Darn it. Yeah, and we haven't talked about it with each other very much, but... You know, I asked them, what would their dream job be, those college kids? And uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> there were twins, um, who were identical twins. And first one said, They okay. wanted to, let me ask, they wanted to be Elon Musk. Yeah, well, no, no, <laughs> no. But one of them definitely wants to be an astronaut. And he is going to, into, you know, into aeronautical, aeronautical engineering at <laughs> Utah State University. Anyway, and then his twin brother, he said, uh, Oh, I also want to have, um, I also want to have a sprinter van all fitted out. And uh, it was hilarious that, you know, he had that combination. And then the next twin said, I just want a job that is so that I have enough money to be really comfortable, but I don't want a lot of money. I just want enough money so that I can do the things that I want to do. And I thought <laughs> that was really, really interesting. So, you know, the responses were so fun. And we have one of our grandkids has just finished his freshman year at Harvard. And I asked him what his dream job would be. And he blew me away by saying a high school band teacher. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, he wow. is a fabulous musician. He can play any instrument he picks up almost. I mean, he's really gifted. A high school band teacher. Yeah. So if he works for 20 years, he'll earn as much money as it costs him to go to Harvard. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he's such a cute boy. And it was just it was so delightful. They asked me, when was the first time you knew that grandfather was the right one for you? Oh, they did? They yeah. asked you that? Yeah. Oh, I wish I knew. I wish that I heard your answer. Yeah, I think you kind of know the answer. But anyway, uh, it really was a delight to have everybody together. We squashed a lot of stuff. And we really are only all together for three and a half days. And our married kids, we had a breakfast up here where we are right now with our married kids. And they talked about their future, but they can only stay two days now. They have to work. They have to go back to work. So picture this. As soon as we're done recording this podcast, we're... We're going to be saying goodbye to these families as they head out back to some, in some cases, 5,000, 6,000 miles away. And we're going to be left with these incredible memories. And I just want to underscore, they're not all positive. We had some chaos this week. We had some disagreements. Exactly. We had some people say, I don't even know if I, well, actually I didn't say, I don't know if I want to come. They, the, the positive always seems to, I guess that's the point I want to make. The positive always outweighs the negative. And so if you're thinking about your reunions and how often to have them and where to have them and so on, and if you're discouraged for any reason, if it's like, well, we don't have a place to go to, we don't have a Bear Lake place, or we don't have... You know, or or if it's, well, the last time we had a reunion, there were some hard feelings. I mean, try to put aside those things and figure out a way. So many families we know just go camping together and they have a great time and the cost is minimal. Yeah. Other families find ways to just go on a, go on a drive, well, a, a two-day event. It doesn't have to be huge. Somebody called me and said our family is fractured. We just... We have different political views, religious views. How can we do this? And I said, look, why don't you just decide on a book that's really fascinating that everybody, you think everybody would like, read it and then meet for dinner and talk about the book. So that it is just not about anything other than a common interest. And she called back and said, you know what? We did it. And it really worked. It really helped to start things going. So there's there's a lot of interesting ways to make this happen. You know, and just picking up on what you said, Linda, if if people, if, if you have a re- reunion thinking the goal is for us all to love each other in every way completely and to agree on everything, you're never going to, you're never going to get there. I, I just finished editing a book that's coming out next month called No Divisions Among You. And it's 14 essays of people explaining how to try to find unity. But but the bottom line of, of what most of them concluded is that unity doesn't mean complete agreement. It means listening to each other. It means respecting each other's opinion. And diversity is part of that unity. And all of us have diversity in our family. And if we can just get to where we accept each other, we love each other. I mean, there was one granddaughter here that was worried because she thought the swimsuit she wore was immodest and maybe others were judging her for it. And we're just trying to create this feeling, listen, you be who you ever you are. You There's not some mold to follow. There's not some standard thing you have to pass in order to be part of this family. You be you 
And this family is a big tent and we can all love each other and we can all learn from each other. Exactly. So that's a lot to digest when uh, half an hour, but thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you're thinking about how you can make this work with your family in your way and being you. And so we wish you the very best. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on Iris on the Road. Bye-bye.